on today's show, we are getting to know Mona. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and And Mona is kind enough to come on and help me and people listening understand the protests that are happening in Iran. And maybe I guess just give, help me understand like more perspective. So thank you for coming on. It's part of what I love about the podcast is I can randomly find someone on Instagram who's wickedly educated <laughs> like you and is willing to and passionate you seem so passionate just looking at your instagram posts and everything you've shared with me so far about what's going on so i'm really excited to just um listen and i feel like i'm gonna ask a bunch of stupid questions because i'm very ignorant to um the situation just reading about uh the protest i had no idea it was like this flashpoint of 20 different variables that has been going on since like the 80s. It's just been this slow cook. So thank you. All that to say thank you for um, being willing to take the time to come on. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me, Sean, and thanks for the opportunity. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, me and all the people in Iran, uh, we are uh, looking for voices outside of Iran to actually um, let people all around the world understand what's happening there. So I would just start by um, pointing out, uh, by mentioning how all these um, protests started. 
Um, these uh, cross-country and global protests were uh, begun and ignited first by the death, the killing of Marsa Amini, who was um, beaten by morality police because of so-called improper hijab. And um, uh, her death was accompanied by uh, a lot of rage and anger uh, with, um, from all, all people who started all these protests. Um, the first uh, people who were killed uh, and arrested during the protests were also women, uh, young girls. Uh, one of them was the, um, was the interviewer who actually took a picture of Mahsa uh, while she was in hospital. So um, it was started by women and followed and accompanied by men. So uh, do we want to call it um, a fight for women rights? I wouldn't say so. It is not uh, a fight for women's rights. It's a fight against uh, Iran's regime um, and the ruler and all the government who are um, deeply corrupt uh, and they are actually making it uh, harder and harder for, pe for people to live in Iran, to have a normal life. So um, it's a fight for all Iranians. I don't know if you know um, Zizek, the Slo Slovenian uh, philosopher and cultural theorist and public int intellectual, he actually um, was one of the uh, first people who joined the protest and talked about the protest outside Iran. And uh, what he uh, uh, said, um, he stated it so beautifully that um, this is not a feminist uh, movement similar to those uh, we see in the, uh, in the West. It is not emphasizing women's identity versus uh, and opposed to men's identity. Uh, this is asking for uh, women's freedom, which is, in fact, the men's freedom as well, because uh, these women are sisters mothers, especially mothers um, and daughters to uh, those men. Uh, so how can men actually be free without their mothers being free? So uh, yes, he was uh, actually saying that um, this movement is bigger than just women, bigger than just Iran, and it belongs to uh, humans, right, I would say. So um, the other thing that I want to mention regarding this uh, this movement is it was not started two weeks ago by the death of Masa Amini. It's always been there in different forms, uh, sometimes in form of a protest, sometimes um, in forms of, of just people uh, tweeting and writing about it, the books, um, all that, all, all, all sorts of things. And um, I remember when I was back in Iran and I was still studying uh, in my master's degree, I had just went to, I went to Tehran uh, to, uh, to attend the university um, 10 years ago. Yes, exactly 10 years ago that um, I don't know how much you're familiar with it, but, but there was this green movement and a movement that was uh, named Green Movement um, in support of Mir Hossein Musavi, who was supposed to become the president of Iran. but Ahmadinejad was the person who came out as the president um, with, I don't know, um, with actually miscalculating the words of people. So uh, I remember back then, again, all of the students, all of the university students, they went into the streets and they, um, they actually protested against the government. 
uh, and everything, but they were uh, badly uh, oppressed and repressed. So uh, it went into silence for some years. Again, it um, happened two, three years ago. It was two years ago uh, after the um, after shutting the, the airplane, the, the Ukrainian airplane, uh, which was um, done by the Sapah itself, by the Iran's regime. And so many people um, who had migrated uh, to the United to the uh, United States and Canada were killed in that um, flight. It again caused a lots of protests all, uh, all uh, over Iran, but because of the um, because of they would um, filter filter the internet because of the disconnection of internet in Iran, uh, nobody could hear about it. Uh, the way it must have been heard back then. And then again, this happened uh, this year after the death of Mahsa Amini, which uh, I would say is the biggest protest happening in Iran after the, um, after the Iran's revolution, uh, which um, led to um, Islamic Republic government of Iran. So I would say it's the biggest uh, revolution since 43 years ago. And I and so many people believe that this might be the movement and revolution that might actually end up in the change of regime. That's a lot. Um, and I, I, as soon as you said morality police, it's so hard for me to comprehend, I guess, being in America um, I, I'm assuming like separation of church and state, we just have police, not morality police. And I want to get to part of the issue and everything I say, feel free to always correct me because again, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be completely stupid to so much of this and ignorant so much of it. The hair and covering hair, why is that like a priority? Why is that such a big deal? Um, I would say one of the things. Um, the only thing maybe that kind of separates Iran for other Islamic countries around Iran is uh, the compulsory hijab. So we have Islam in Iraq, we have it in Syria, in Lebanon, in, uh, in Palestine. We have it in almost all the Islamic um, dominant countries, but none of them has um, compulsory hijab. Only Iran has it, and now Afghanistan also have it. And it's not been compulsory before uh, before the change of regime uh, during the um, Shah's um, dynasty. So um, maybe, maybe um, Iran's regime, uh, Islamic Republic regime, kind of um, sees part of a, mo a very important part of its identity in women's hijab, and they feel like if they let go of this rule of compulsory hijab if they let go of it um their existence wouldn't be possible afterwards because all these years all these 43 years they have emphasized on it so partly but uh why was Mahsa killed um why suddenly somebody would be killed because of hijab i must say that mm, in iran we don't wear hijab uh, with the way actually you see um, the Muslim people wear hijab in um, in Western countries. The way you see Western, uh, the uh, Muslim people wear hijab is that they 
cover all their hair and um, they only would show their face. In Iran, because people don't actually believe in hijab, and even lots of people are not Muslims, they don't believe in Islam, they would uh, uh, wear hijab very loosely. So they would just uh, wear a shawl in a, a ornamental way. Okay. And based on who is the president, they would be strict on hijab or not as the street. And I must say, after the um, last president, Raisi, who is uh, Ibrahim Raisi, they became so strict about hijab. And they again uh, funded this morality police to go out there in the streets and uh, arrest anyone who is not wearing proper hijab, which I would say most people don't in Iran. And is there like an, a law that's a penalty or is it subjective? Does it depend who detains you for the punishment or is it standard? No, it's not a standard. There is, it's subjective. So you might just pass up without even, even wearing a shawl or a hijab um, and one police wouldn't say anything to you and the other one would actually want to arrest you. And as I say, the rule has not always been there that we are um, penal um, putting this penalty of people who are not wearing hijab properly. No, there's no such thing, actually. It's so subjective. Because yeah, just the word arrest is so strong, like not fined. Like I would think fine, right? In the American mm -hmm. equivalent, you're decriminalizing marijuana. You can have up to an ounce of pot and you get a ticket <laughs> and you go about yeah. your day. And you're talking about a piece of clothing that equals arresting is, um, it, it, it's just so hard to fathom. And what does, exactly. what is it like when you are arrested? So America, you know, Hey, where's my lawyer? I get my one phone call. Give me, you know, you get three meals a day. <laughs> There's, there seems to be some standards of living where some people actually prefer to be arrested because of the organization. You're in a nice, like climate controlled cell. Right. Um, I'm yes. curious about what it's like when you're arrested over in Iran. That's actually one of the problems. So that's one of one of the things that people are talking about, that even when we are being arrested, we are not being arrested under any law so that we can actually go to a lawyer and say, uh, please go and defend us against this law or based on this law. Huh. There is no such thing. And uh, even when we, we are talking about morality police, it's not the usual police. It's a group of people not educated as police uh, officers, uh, but only as morality people. Uh, even the name in Iran is not, there is no police um, to their title in Iran. It's just another institute um, other than the um, police officers that they are only responsible for actually watching who's wearing hijab properly or who is not. Most of them are not even educated at all. And it, so they don't have authority to enforce laws, like they write you a speeding ticket or jaywalking or arrest you for robbing a store. No, and there is no such law uh, and uh, they don't, they have no such right. And because of that, it's not that you can actually ask for a lawyer and want them to defend you in the court. 
and the morality is based on the Quran? Oh, no, no, not, not at all. So let me say that uh, what's happening in Iran, it doesn't have anything to do with Islam. So um, in Iran, the, the people, the population of people, people, I would say half of it are Muslims and the other half don't believe in Islam. Um, they might even be anti-religious. Um, anti-religious in a sense that they don't believe in any religion, not just Islam. They are just anti-religious uh, in a sense. And um, the Muslim people, the people who are actually even um, in favor of hijab, they are also participating in all these protests and supporting the women who don't want to wear hijab. So no, it's not nothing based in Islam. So is... Is it just the president deciding what to be moral? It's their it's their interpretation of what is um, stated in Quran. So in Quran, it is stated that um, God is actually um, recommending the wives of um, the prophet to wear hijab for their security or their well-being well -being or something. But it's not something compulsory. It's not saying that a Muslim must wear a hijab. And that's why in most Arabic countries, hijab is not compulsory. And I say, and as I said, it's just an interpretation, a minority's interpretation of what Quran says about hijab. Gotcha. Do they go around looking for people who are like cheating on their spouses? as well or like i'm trying to picture or do they just it's literally not. stand outside on corners and whatever's in open view or are they actually kicking in doors like checking social media or something are they like looking at text messages is it that high tech to accuse <laughs> people do you like have others like if if i suspected my wife of cheating would i report her to the morality police and they would like follow her and see what's happening? I'm, like, I'm curious about the extent. A very great question. So yes, Quran has said something about uh, unfaithfulness towards the spouse um, or wife. And uh, it is saying if two people uh, were witness to your wife or husband actually um, cheating on you, cheating in a sense that they are having sexual affair, then, based on those two witnesses, you can um, insert a law upon the unfaithful person. But, <laughs> again, um, I would like to say that Islam is um, leaving room uh, for that person, for that unfaithful person to say, who are your two witnesses? of our sexual affair <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean yeah because i mean like were you looking in my window <laughs> were we exactly. out in exactly. public like that that doesn't seem you would have to have a weird sort of interest to Popper. want to publicly <laughs> display your sexual affair that's immoral that's cheating. it must be a setup yeah. so that such thing such a thing actually happens so I want to say that um, Islam is is taking it very easy on Muslims, but it's the interpretations of Islam 
uh, that makes it so dogmatic. Yeah. And so the morality police, if they, do you know people or are there examples of people who weren't able to speak or see the people who, the witnesses that accused them of cheating? Or is that very rare over there to go into? That happens very rarely, actually, to be honest. Um, there has been no report of such a thing that I would be aware of during I would say I've never been I've never seen any report of it I've never read about it so, so I would say no. yeah the morality police's primary concern then is the hijab and just maintaining this very symbolic control over yes. the women and also the other thing that I can uh, mention is during Ramadan which is the month for fasting uh, you are not supposed to eat anything in public in public and if you do and if the morality police is around uh, they might actually arrest you again this has been the case that i've never witnessed okay. i've never seen such a thing happens because i'm a person who would eat something in ramadan even in public <laughs> and i've never been endangered by actually somebody uh, coming after me and um arresting me however i would say it has been different from time to time based who is the president right now? Gotcha. And so then regardless of religious beliefs, you would have to adhere to that religious belief. Um, only in public. Sure. Yeah, in public. Yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's, again, just yes. crazy yes. to think about that there's this religious standard that you would have to adhere to, despite the fact yes. that you would be of a different religion. And I would say that all these restrictions, all these crazy <laughs> restrictions are exactly the reason why I see most Iranians have become these anti-religious people. So if you, um, if you have any Iranian friends um, in, the, in the USA or in Canada or any, uh, foreign, in any other country, um, you would see that they are actually not, Muslim, not a Muslim. They are not actually uh, following any religion or they are actually anti-religious because they are fed up <laughs> with religion, with religion. Well, it's so punitive. It reminds me, like I grew up Catholic and it seemed like a chore and it's like, why should salvation and living well be so burdensome? <laughs> Does exactly. it have to be burdensome? Yeah. Does it have to be so punitive? Does it have to exactly. always make me feel like I can never achieve this? <laughs> like that doesn't sound right. And, and I, it's not supposed to take away your, away your freedom of choice. You are supposed to be the person who chooses how to actually, um, actually practice religion, not that it would be forced upon you. Yeah, that. but the Catholicism to me, like it, stopped at guilt or maybe if you went to a catholic school nuns slapping you you know and like that that was it and that's our extreme it's i mean it pales exactly. in comparison like i wouldn't ever think of the word arrest or even detained maybe detention where you'd have to like write a bunch of stuff you know write 500 times why you're sorry about talking in class kind of a thing but exactly and that was enough to turn people off just even like the <laughs> stereotype of it was enough to basically found like non-denominational Christianity where it's like, hey, we want to make an experience. We want to have great music. We want to have fellowship. We want to emphasize, 
companionship and not judgment. And like, it seemed like a loosening of biblical interpretation in a lot of these places. It's not very strict because people were like fighting it. And it, it's, it's just mind blowing to picture I'm 41. So with this new regime, basically my whole life would have been, I would know no different. Like I would just know that sort of oppressive relationship to a religion. And I feel like in my spirit, I would rebel. Like I would detest it. Of course, of course. That's how, what's happening in Iran. They would rebel against it. And, um, you know, Iran is not like, for example, North Korea, that they are uh, not having access to the outside world. We do have access to the outside world. We do have fast internet Um in case they are not actually shutting off the internet so that they would uh, oppress people in in usual routine of uh, everyday life uh, life we have uh, access to fast internet so um we watch all these um european american movies and tv shows we read all these books our scholars actually have access to all the latest articles that are coming out and they are also writing and publishing articles from inside iran so um for example i have come to canada only two and a half years ago and uh, most my friends um uh, most my most of my foreign foreign friends or Iranian friends who have been raised in Canada, they are like, oh my God, it's very strange that you've lived all your life in Iran and you know about all these things. Like you are culturally a person who, uh, like a person who's been raised in, in the West. And it's because we've been exposed to all these uh, back in Iran. So it's not that people are, haven't seen otherwise. It's not that they don't know anything other than what the country is actually proposing. Uh, is actually showing to them. Uh, people don't even actually watch the TV, the Islamic Republic TV anymore. Mm, they are watching whatever show they choose to, to watch. Yeah. They are reading whatever they choose to read uh, as long as they are in their personal life and in their mm, bubble of friends and families. They are nothing like I, um, a person who lives in under the Islamic Republic governance. But outside of their homes, outside the family and friends, when you are working um, a government job, yes, that's where you have to uh, abide to anything that the uh, Islamic Republic rules say you must. For example, let me tell you that when I was only 11 years old, I used to have bangs just as I do now, and it used to be um, out my scarf when I would go to school and my uh, the, the school manager came to me and said I would cut off your bangs if you don't cover them and it was traumatizing to me to be honest and when I was going to the university uh, every single day I would actually cover my hair when I was passing the guards the entrance guards and as soon as I passed them and I'm going inside the buildings to the class because I would, again, just wear my scarf the way I, wanted, I want to wear it. But there is always those morality guards and polices right, that would um, meddle in your life to see that you are doing what they tell you to do. Was that the closest you'd come to, I don't know if threatened is the right word, but I, you said you were 11. So I'm curious, just 
getting older, did you have any other close calls with the morality police? Of course, yes. Uh, when I was going to the university, as I told you, I would I would always wear my um, uh, scarf in a way that my hair is out and my scarf would be loose and everything. So I've been called uh, by the university morality guard and they um, they threatened me that if you stop, uh, if you don't, if you don't stop wearing your scarf like this, we would have to uh, report you, and you'll be dismissed from the university. So yes, of like, course. <laughs> literally kicked out of the like, yeah. not a suspension, just no longer yes. able to under suspension or dismissed totally. So I would again be um, careful to wear my hijab in in front of the guards in a way that they wouldn't see any of my hair out. But when I would go inside, I would just be as I want to be. But, but this is something every girl has experienced in Iran. I would say every girl, um, or not every girl. There are people who believe in wearing hijab, but every other girl who doesn't believe in hijab, they have experienced such a, such a situation. Does it, and I'm trying to think back, I want to say a year and a half ago her name i can't pronounce it i want to say it was something like daisy she was in egypt and cnn had done an article on her where she was um helping women to get moped licenses because traveling was completely unsafe in public because the egyptian men were so like like sexually aggressive physically and verbally to women and i'm curious because it seems like you're in such a vulnerable and interpretive position. I can report you. I've seen your hair out. And it's like, who's going to stand up for you if they're the morality police? I wonder, did it ever, did you ever have a situation where you felt uncomfortable, like men were trying to also try to get something sexually out of you to like have them not report you? Did they ever try to extort you in that way? Or because they're the morality police, they were like standards of... Like to be honest, no, I've never experienced such a thing. And um, as I said, men are actually supporting women in their rights for right. um, wearing whatever they, they, cho they choose to wear. Men has been so supportive and this morality police, they might even arrest men for uh, wearing, for example, very bright colors. You might find it funny, really? but I did have... Um, male friends that they would say that university morality guards have um, actually told him not to wear this red uh, short sleeved shirt next time he comes to the university. <laughs> like, are the morality police the people who like couldn't become real cops and it's like their fallback job or is that like an esteemed position? Is that something that's competitive? Uh, no, no, it's not. So as I said, they are not even educated to become police officers. They might be the people who have least education. They are stupid. They are working for for very amount, very um, small amount of salary. Right. Like their salary isn't even that high. But they are kind of people who are not competent for any other job. Oh God! So they just receive the money. And they would do what they are told to do, yeah. unfortunately. 
Which it seems like you would want someone in that position because you wouldn't want somebody to have some deep thoughts about like, is this right to arrest and detain people for hair being exposed? Like when, when you just say it out loud, although I don't understand the religious convictions. So like that's the hard part for me too because I'm completely ignorant to the Quran. So I don't understand how strongly that the, the – I almost think of it as like Old Testament beliefs like akin to all those rules in like Leviticus. And I wonder mm-hmm. if some Jews take that extremely serious and it is the utmost importance to them because it's their salvation, right? They're serving their God. So I try to balance that before I want to make fun of them, but I really want to make fun of them to be like, can we just say it out loud? Can we say it out loud and be like, yeah, that's a little much. Yes, exactly. They are uneducated, ignorant people who only do it for the salary they receive. And if there was no such salary, they would never have done it. I'm sure about about that. And they must have been brainwashed um, to do that because I know so many uh, hardcore Muslims um, that they would never ever treat anyone like that because of their hijab. Um, I have lots of Muslim friends who are wearing hijab uh, in a very strict way and they are supporting women who are not wearing hijab at all. They are supporting them, they are protesting um, with them. So it has nothing to do with Quran, it has nothing to do with Islam. And when we are saying morality police, it's the it's kind of the wrong title we are giving them. They are not police officers. They are just uh, guards who are uneducated, ignorant people who've been brainwashed in our in order to do such a responsibility. And our police officers, we must differentiate between police officers and such people. Yeah. That's something I'm curious too, is about because when you say arrested, I feel like it's the same would it be the same infrastructure? Like would you go yeah. to a jail or a prison that also holds murderers and thieves? Or is it its own facility and its own infrastructure? The jail and the prisons, I would say, yes, it's the same jail. Unfortunately, it's the same jail. But the people who are responsible to do that, they are a different organization from the police organization. Even their cars, even their clothes is different from the police officers' cars and clothes. It's a, um, they have different branding on their clothes, on their uh, uniform and on their cars. Yeah, I wonder if the cops just think they're jokes. Like if the cops actually just hate them and they see them as a hassle. Yes, I would say lots of cops hate them because, you know, for example, let's say you're a cop and you're a good cop and you're seeing somebody else's is faking to be you and doing all those wrong things. How would you feel about them? They are actually... Uh, taking away all the credibility and all the respect from you because of what they do. And they are not even cops. They are just being cops. (laughs) Yeah, I think that would be it because that's a great point. Because you would hope, just like I enjoy teaching, I feel like there are certain professions where doctors, lawyers, where you have a standard that you want to live up to. A lot of our military, like Navy SEALs, Green Berets, like... They love what's associated with it. And it's part of, at least in America, why so many police are, they hate this 
defund the police movement because they're like, we're getting lumped in with a few terrible people that should absolutely be punished. And that's not the majority of us. The majority of us went to school, we train, we do our jobs with like real compassion and real thought and we keep people safe. And it makes us feel good to keep people safe. And you're so right because in my head, being an outsider, I can't differentiate. I heard more morality police. I just thought it was like a special unit of the police immediately. And it's terrible that I'm lumping these people, morality police in with people who actually serve you to protect you from like real criminals who solve murders over there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good to differentiate between those because they are different organization and they are um, there's respect <laughs> to the real police officers who are ambition ambitious to actually help people and protect people. And um, I, I also want to point out that even among the military troops, we have two branches of military troops in Iran. One of them is called Sepah. Uh, which is under all the sanctions from the West, and the other one is called Artesh. And um, Sepah is that group, military group who is actually supporting all these um, morality uh, guards and polices. But Artesh, Artesh is actually the group of um, military troops that they are supporting people. And people are actually calling upon them to please come and support us so that we can actually um defeat the uh dictator the islamic uh, republic regime they haven't uh, actually done that yet but uh, people are very hopeful that finally artesh would join them in um in the fight against the islamic republic yeah i um I, and i i don't want to stray too much but i, I want to say that because i'm thinking about the morality police and getting a low wage but apparently when i'm reading about your economy it's like you just you're like hoping for that job it seems like there's such desperation over there for any sort of pay and now i'm thinking of like if you have this dictator how is the funding for that second branch even allowed if they're not going to be in lockstep but before that do you are you familiar with the arrest process so if someone were to be arrested for by the morality police is there kind of a way that it goes like do you get out the next day is there a trial at some point is there like a lashing a punishment some physical abuse is it like a class you take or literally you have no idea what's going to happen um so i've never been arrested by the morality police itself but i only but i have close friends um or intimate friends that were arrested by the morality police so i can only um use their references in order to um, give you this information so um in case of Mahsa Amini there was this um classes that um they were uh, forced to join in order to learn uh how hijab is good for them so that they would actually apply wearing hijab afterwards however there is no standard process uh to this arrest uh, they might end up in jail for only one night or they might end up there for 10 nights or, um, I don't know, month. For example, in case of two of my close friends, they've been arrested. And one of them, um, we actually uh, know that um, they told us she would be free at least 10 nights from now. 
And in case of my other friend, we don't even know where she is. You yeah. currently have a friend that you don't know where she is because yeah. she was arrested by the morality police? Yes. And there are lots of these girls and boys that nobody knows where they are. They've been arrested, but, and they've been, and in case of my friends, she's been arrested in her own home. And how? Um, because they had access to her Instagram account and their messages, and they knew that she has stated in her story that she wants to join the protests. So they had gone to their house. And they've taken her laptop, her mobile, and they arrested her. Nobody knows where she is. Yeah, that, see, that's the scariest part when it gets into the technology. Because now, like, and again, I'm super ignorant, but something I've always heard about Russia is like the distrust because it was so authoritarian that, and it was so dire, the economic decision the impacts of the decisions where people would sell out others you could make up lies the accusations were like currency within the government to gain favor to get favors and there is no privacy policing yeah know? right but man so on top of having to worry about that and the outward exposure exposure just now your social media which is public but the fact that that's getting patrolled as well is really scary that's some like orwellian stuff right there that's tracking that, you. yeah that's My God, true what what is her like family doing so I, I think in america like what you would do is you would hopefully contact like your local representatives right you, yeah. the people who get elected every two years to represent your and you would get them to advocate the courts for you that's what? true but there might even not be any courts <laughs> For those, because there are thousands of these students under arrest now. It's not only 10, 20, 50. There are thousands. And the parents, like, you, the parents don't get a lot. And I guess you're more grown because you're in college, so maybe the parents don't have rights. But, like, no one goes and visits her. There's not, like, a trail they would if they knew where they are if they would tell them where they are so i know that parents are going crazy they are having strokes because of their children being arrested and lost because they can't have any news of where they are of their whereabouts so yes you're true uh, you're right their parents would go after them but no clue no clue how they've been arrested by whom they were arrested where they are being kept nothing how did you find out she was arrested? To my friends, to my friends. And probably, I don't know uh, who actually uh, said that. Uh, she, I don't know how they know that she was arrested uh, from home. But one of my friends said that it's how they actually arrested her. So they didn't even arrest her on the street. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, I'm wondering if like they witnessed it or if it's just like, Hey, we usually meet Tuesday, 10 o'clock for class or whatever. Or, oh, you didn't show up for your job. And it's like a logical conclusion. No. That's no, such a thing. Gotcha. Man, that is, um, that is so scary. And like, you just take, I don't know. I've never had that feeling where I'm like, cops are going to kick in my door. Cause I said something I felt was right on <laughs> Instagram. Like that's insane to think. Exactly. God. Exactly. Yeah, I, so when, and I, I'm scared to say her name because I, I, 
you say it with the like in the proper way and i would say mas the um masa amini yeah masa amini masa masa the h is messing me up masa amini um when she was arrested and then she had to take these classes was do you get arrested then you like go home and you have to report somewhere or are you like within custody the entire time until you've completed whatever your punishment is so uh she was supposed to actually be arrested and uh take the class and then be sent home that was the scenario in the first place but the thing is she actually had this um attack while she was still in the class and there are um uh, there is a movie um that it, that was taken by the surveillance uh surveillance camera that shows that she's having the attack while she is still in the class. And when they take, the, take her to the hospital, they actually just drop her and they escape because they know they are responsible for the attack and the death. So they won't even stay at the hospital. They escape. And then um, she dies two days afterwards in the hospital. And these are like the morality police who are leading this re-education class? Yes, yes. What's the attack like? I've not seen the, the uh, video. So um, what, what you're seeing in the, uh, in the movie, it's she uh, leaves her seat and she goes to one of these women, one of these morality police women, and she, she is explaining something to her. And I can say from her gestures, from her pose, that she's actually complaining that what's wrong with my covering uh what's wrong with my hijab why have you taken me and then the uh, morality police woman says something back to her and she suddenly takes her head and uh, she just hangs on the ground and uh yeah so and what... it seems like she had a brain stroke got you so it wasn't a physical beating in the class not in the class but um According to witnesses who've been arrested um, along with her, she was beaten in the head. Uh, she she was beaten in the head while she was being arrested. Okay, so then she was and then so then the conclusion is she suffered this stroke or had this brain, whatever occurred. A what, concussion. Yeah. Yeah. What was is there like an so like in America you would get like an autopsy report a couple days later where it's like cause of death was the medical examiner says is something exactly. official come out? A very good question. So uh, during the first few days after her death, uh, the the morality police uh, and the and the media, the, the Islamic Republic media, they were trying to say that she was sick. She was sick prior to the, uh, the arrest and uh, that's the reason for her death but all her family and also the, uh, the, the medical doctors who were responsible for her they just uh, came forward and they said no she had no sicknesses and even even if she was sick prior to that why would she have this stroke while she was under arrest what kind of stress what kind of mental pressure have you uh, caused to her that um, led to this mental, to this brain stroke? Is that why like the video got released? Because the morality police thought it showed that she wasn't physically exactly. attacked and they were like, hey, this exactly. will help prove that we're not that bad. 
Yes, exactly. That's uh, why uh, the she... video was released so that they say, see, she's just in the class and she's healthy and nothing is wrong. And she just collapses and faints. And it was not our fault. But then everybody was like, what are you talking about? She was under your arrest. She was beaten prior to the class, prior to this uh, video. And yeah. Yeah, the, that's something I'm not um, like, because I'm not that kind of doctor <laughs> to know how those types, like how abuse would then lead to you having an aneurysm or a stroke or even what a concussion could do to passing out. But I think what you brought up is really good too, which is that the pressure and stress on top of some sort of physical assault injury, like I, I just can't imagine the fight or flight mode that you as an individual would be experiencing being so helpless. Exactly. And just consider the fact that she was only 22 years old and she was from a very small uh, city in Iran uh, who has come to Tehran, the capital of Iran, just for a visit, just for a trip. And then uh, she was with her brother. She was arrested for her hijab. And she's this innocent, very uh, naive girl who has never been under such a situation. So. Gotcha. And is that part of like are people identifying with her because of that because of the because age or the situation because it could be any of us it could be me it could be my sister it could be one of my students it could be my relative relative and all of us have kind of been victim to such a um such a treatment from the morality police from the morality guard that they have threatened us to actually arrest us or uh, mm, mm, dismiss us from the university or yeah. whatever. But this is something that everybody uh, relates to. But it, this is one of the first deaths that's connected with the morality police that's been that's, so public. I think that's uh, the first. I, I can't gotcha. be sure. Yeah. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, to my knowledge, it's the first. Gotcha. So yeah, then that... So at first, I guess if I'm just thinking out loud about this, at first you look at morality police and you're like, God, this is annoying. Okay, I'll follow these rules. And you almost look at them at like little like tattletalers that you're like, whatever, you're not a big deal, but I have to take you somewhat seriously. So yes, okay, yes, okay. But then all of a sudden a life is taken because of the custody and you're like, whoa, the, the, the authority that these morality police are exerting and the treatment of people underneath their authority is now like that's no longer maintainable. We no longer can just deal with these people being glorified tattletalers. You nailed it. That's okay. exactly how it happened. Yeah. I did not realize that the death was um, one of the first or if not the first, just like a, the famous death. That's... um. It is making much more sense now. Yeah. God, I, so then how often is, I think you've referred to the, the leader of Iran as a dictator. Um, I, I forget like the um, actual title. It's not president, right? Uh, so um, it's, he is called the leader of Islamic countries. Okay. And is and he elected? Is that like a patriarch? Thing where like your family goes <laughs> it's through. It's very much like it's very much like 
yeah, a patriarchy because uh, the um, next person who is uh, probably going to become the leader, I hope it's not the case, is going to be his son. But um, I would say it's kind of... Um, they see them as the representatives from God. <laughs> like a deity themselves, like the Egyptian pharaohs were like, I am part of Ra kind of a thing? Yeah, I would say so, because how else would you uh, rule a country for 40 years, well, for less than 40, but 30 something years? How else? While people actually don't want you, don't believe in you. Same guy. Same guy, right. Now, th this is where I'm going to get really stupid um, because I remember these pictures and maybe it was the green movement, the whole, hey, we're voting and our fingers are green. Is that one and the same or is that completely different? Uh, so, yes, he was um, the same person that we were uh, protesting against in green movement as well. But was the um, green movement the voting where people's fingers were green, or was that just Afghanistan? So just um, it's a it's a funny um, uh, allegory that I'm uh, pulling here, but just like the Britain that they have both the queen and also the vice president in Iran, we have the Islamic leader of Iran and also the president. But the Islamic leader is the one who also has the veto right uh, regarding every other situation, even the presidential election in Iran. Oh, and then, so then how does he, the current dictator, get along with the president? Is it like just handpicked? Um, so the president, it's, um, it is supposed to be democracy, democratic uh, right. elections. However, they would only um, make eligible those who they want to be their president. And everybody else, they would just get rid of them. <laughs> when you say get rid of, like, so we have a primary process where basically we have a two-party system, although you could be with whatever party, but they, like, the people of that party vote, like, in increments by states, and then all of a sudden, whatever yeah. your totals are, then yes. it becomes you are the nomination if you get the majority of votes in those states through a primary. No, what is I say similar? is more um, more like a background check and a historical check of the people who want to uh, become the candidates. And those candidates uh, who have something in their background or history that is not exactly right, they would say, okay, you're not eligible for, uh, for becoming uh, the candidates for the election. So you're out. <laughs> oh, it's like legitimately you're not allowed to run? Yes, because you have this in your background, so you are not allowed to run. And they would only keep those as their uh, candidates uh, who are approved uh, in terms of their background. <laughs> by the leader of the Muslim countries. It's not just by the leader. It is, in fact, by the leader, but they would say they would uh, give us some um justifiable reason why they are not eligible so yeah. they make it look democratic but it really isn't gotcha so it's not like there's this news story where the people turn against the potential candidate it's that the candidate doesn't it's the system itself exactly. not allowing the candidate to run and what you're saying is basically if they don't if the potential candidate doesn't abide by or follow 
what the leader of the Muslim countries wants, then exactly you um, nailed it again. Okay. So how else do you think a country with eighty million people would um, elect such dumb people as their presidents? Someone as dumb as Ibrahim Raisi or Ahmadinejad, who is who are just masterpieces of idiocy. You know, because yeah, <laughs> they are it's ridiculous. Yeah, it doesn't. I, I've I really like I forget where I heard it, but it's the say it out loud test. And it's like, so if we're a democracy, we're voting people in to oppress our rights. Like that just doesn't make any sense when you say it out loud. And exactly. It, yeah, yeah, that's um. Is, is the country basically split like most gender 50-50, male, female? Yes. Yeah, right? Yes. So, yes. yeah, then half the voters. And are you allowed as a woman to vote in Iran? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so then half of your voting demographic, there's no way. Like, it couldn't be conceivable that the majority of female voters would want morality police around. Like, I feel like that if that was America, it would get voted down in a ballot like the local the, the states would just even if it was constitutional they would just be like nope amendment we're going to ratify the state constitution and eliminate this and it'd be one vote and it'd be over that's right yeah so it's not democratic it's just so called democratic it, it really isn't so sean what i want to point out here is again i would say there is a there is lots of uh, differences between uh, iran and lots of other islamic Islamic countries, for example, let's say Saudi Arabia. So in Iran, it's funny. Mm, women have lots of those rights that a Western wo woman would have. My mom, uh, she is 72 years old, and uh, she used to be driving for as long as I remember. She's been a teacher. Um, she could um, uh, choose any major she wants to study in. And um, so... There are um, there there is the situation for Iranian women to actually um, live a very professional educational life, and uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about in this um, podcast is you see that this uh, protest, this movement, is kind of started with women, but how would women in a country so oppressed and um, uh, um, and dominant, dominated by men, how would women be so brave? Um, what I want to say is, in a very strange way, Iranian women are very educated. More than 50% of university goers are, are women, more than men. So, um, and something I don't see even in Canada is that uh, I used to study, uh, my, my major was um, architectural engineering and my sister, she was um, studying software engineering. And all the engineering classes, the uh, proportion of girls to boys is 50-50, or even it is occupied by mostly girls, except for, for example, major, majors like civil engineering and mechanical engineering, where uh, girls would be 20% and boys would be 80%. But 
but still I want to say in every other engineering major like electric electrical engineering and software engineering and hardware engineering the classes are occupied 50 50 by boys and girls and um we have this joke going in Iran that when a boy proposes to a girl she would say no why no because I want to study and and it's true and it's true for my generation and the next generations girls uh, all the girls you meet in Iran um I would say 90 percent of the girls you meet in Iran in their 20s uh, they have their bachelor's degree they have attended the university and at least they have a bachelor de degree or master's or PhD and they would just marry after they are finished with their uh, bachelor's degree and they would have children only afterwards and um, um, when when I came to Canada what actually was interesting to me that uh, it was that I see very few Western women in engineering majors they mostly take I don't know um, they become nurses doctors biologists um, and such things but you see very a few engineer women yeah, it's a, it's like an outreach. It's uh, the Department of Education in America has made it a priority to diversify the STEM, you know, it, because there's not equal representation in America of females in those types of jobs. Like it, part of the backlash, or I guess part of the counter argument is like, well, they're not interested. So why are we going to force them? And it's like yeah. gir girls, like we don't exclude girls from math class. They get to go to math. Maybe they just don't like numbers, right? And it's exactly. like, well, that's fine. But it, it that is a very real thing where it is not common. And yes. systems try to correct it. And it's like they can't figure out in America how to correct it. Yes. And uh, I'm right now I'm, uh, I'm working in this tech company, a very famous tech company. And it's funny, two of the software engineers, uh, the lead software, software engineer and uh, another software engineer in the company, both of them are Iranian women. Wow. My own sister, she's a software engineer in, a, in another tech company. And there are lots of these women, a lot of my friends, they um, took their master's degree in Iran. They came for P their PhD uh, to the USA or Canada or, for example, Europe, and they became university professors uh, in Western countries in engineering fields again. And um, there are lots of prominent prominent uh, uh, female figures from Iran who have made a name that no man has reached that position yet. For example, one of them is um, one of them is I I wrote her name here so that yeah one of them is Maria Mirzakhani who won the Mass Fields Medal, which is a Nobel Prize for mathematics. Uh, while she was only uh, in her th 30s. And this medal um, is awarded every four years to people who are under their 40 of age. Anusha Ansari, she was the Iranian woman, a woman who became the first female space tourist, a businesswoman who actually funded herself to become the first female tourist. Uh, Maryam Jarrahi, she won the Presidential Early Career Award for Scientists and Engineers, and she, and she received it from Barack Obama. And when you look at the picture and you look at the list of the people who've won it, you see that 
it's mostly men. 80% of them are men and only 20% are female. And one of them is from Iran. And these women that I mentioned here, they have studied back in Iran. They took their bachelor's degree in Iran in a university called Charish University. And the sad thing is from since two days ago, Sharif University has become, um, it's, uh, it's been invaded again by the uh, regime's troops because they were protesting against the regime. And they were beaten, they were arrested, and I don't know, they are, lots of them are probably killed. And it's like, for example, the USA troops would uh, go and arrest and beat and kill MIT students or Harvard students. Yeah, and am I, and it almost goes back, I try, the outline you sent, see, I did it right now, like I had five thoughts and I say three words about the five thoughts and it comes across jumbled. The outline you had sent me, like you, it seems like you think a lot like me where it's like, okay, let's have like subjects and go with it, right? Yeah. But I wanted to go back to the protest because it's something that I had read about these protests compared to the 2009 protests where it seemed like the 2009 protests were much more like verbally violent, like they were aggressive saying very, like like kill the dictator, get the dictator out, where it seemed like the current protests were so much more passive, like I'm gonna get a haircut, I'm gonna mm -hmm. take no, off my- It's exactly the opposite to be honest. Oh, okay, so then I'm, I'm messed up on the article. It's exactly the opposite. Let me tell you the differences. Um, that's why I'm saying that this revolution is the biggest revolution in Iran since, uh, since 43 years ago. Um, in the green um, movement, people, people were being so uh, calm. They would even be silent. They wouldn't um, chant death to the dictator because they were not actually asking for change of regime. They were asking for the right president that they have voted for. However, this movement, Actually, um, people are chanting death to dictator in the face of dictator's troops. Yeah. Girls, women are chanting death to, for example, Khamenei, who is the dictator here, in the face of the troops who are, um, who are having guns and are having all these um, guns, uh, I mean, these military uh, equipment and everything. Yeah. And they know they can be shot, they know they can be killed, but they just um, go in front, in front of those troops without any hijab. And that's how so many of them are beaten and killed. And, and as Trevor Noah stated, it's so beautifully, uh, the bravery that you're seeing in Iranian women in this movement is something unprecedented, really. It, uh, some people um, actually, um kind of compare it to rosa parks um in in the usa who fought for um for the black rights but i would say it's so very different in a sense that rosa parks didn't actually fear for her life she was um she was afraid of maybe she was afraid of being arrested maybe she knew she's going to be arrested but these women they know they can be killed yeah 
It was it, just as a little side note. I found out like three years ago that the Rosa Park arrest was organized and staged. Like she was chosen to oh. be arrested purposefully. Um, mm. because they were like, we want you to be the sympathetic face that people will now say, really? Oh, ver very similar in that context of really, we're going to be okay with this. We're going to be okay with this. someone for some yes. protest. There was, um, I want to say it was Coldette Colston, who was like a 17, I believe a 16 or 17 year old black girl that was arrested for the exact same thing three to six months before. And I thought it was might have been the NAACP was like, um, we're not going to use her, but we're going to kind of take that idea and get a better face, almost from like a marketing standpoint, that will make people more upset to just show how stupid this is. Because maybe you understand, you think a 17-year-old girl, whatever, she's rebellious. She deserves to get arrested. You're not going to dismiss, uh, I forget how old Rosa Parks was, a middle-aged black woman. Like, you're not going to do that. That's everyone's mother. You can relate to that. And it seems like in this situation, and part of that song that you sent was so beautiful, it's like, that dude, my, my daughter's nine years away from being this girl. Like, exactly. I, 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 that terrifies me. The thought, if I had to worry about my daughter one day running late and her hair sticking out, and then some dude is all upset at whatever in life, and he's power tripping... And now she's just gone and I don't know where she is. Like that is terrifying at, at a, just a basic family unit level at a love for your own spawn level. It, it should, you shouldn't have to experience that. So I, I think that's like the, the rallying it, it's, it's making much more sense how severe it is and that people would get this violent, that this upset, this outwardly upset. Exactly. Yes. They are very angry. So, um, again, I don't know uh, if you're aware of, there has been global protests in all the big cities around the world, Vancouver, Toronto, Los Angeles, um, I don't know, uh, New York, uh, every, every city, um, huge population of Iranian would go out uh, in solidarity with, um, with the people in Iran. And only in Toronto yesterday, 50,000 people were gathered, 50,000 wow. people. And um, there are lots of movies of the, of the um, Iranians outside Iran who would go to the protest. And if you, when you look at the crowd, um, it's huge. It's oh, <laughs> huge uh, because, and it's crazy because it's the number of Iranians who are outside of Iran, who has fled from Iran, escaped yeah. from Iran because of the regime. And now um, they are all pursuing the same goal of change of regime and the government, which actually is proper for every people, which, which is not actually consuming the whole country uh which is not killing the whole country not just the people but the nature the animals the rivers the lakes everything yeah yeah that's that that was another thing because i just you think of america and like the environmental what's epa stand for environmental protection agency 
and yes. you want and you have these lobbyists and you have these people with passions that get elected and then get to channel tax funds to these things to buy land to preserve to test waters to create fines to shut down businesses right you have hopefully these checks and balances to protect just nature and it, it I, i've never been around a dictator and i don't know what i would do with that kind of power if i had dictator power but i doubt i would care about fresh clean water because i think i would just be corrupted by the power and maintaining it and my focus would be on how do i maintain my power versus how do i empower people below me exactly yeah. and sean the case of iran is a very complicated case because it is uh, located in middle east it has resources of gas and um and i don't know so many other things it has um the hormones um, it, it has this um locations the the very strategic locations like um hormones that every country want to have access to so it's not a country like i don't know a scandinavian a scandinavian country that nobody actually cares about the land itself it's the land that everybody wants to have their hand on to have their hand on the resources mm, so every what everybody is worried about is what happens if the regime changes what would be the next regime like uh who would it be powered by is it going to be powered by the usa the britain um, the Russia, China, which of them are going to um, have dominance over the land? Who are who, which? Who, which one of them is going to kind of buy the rulers in order to again yeah. um, use the resources? Like like it is the case right now with the current regime. Yeah, that was. Um, I actually had a guy on the pod, um, Toby Hard Hardman who wrote about the CIA's first mission into Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And something that was super interesting to me was how the CIA had to figure out what warlords they were going to back and who could unite and what they stood for. And like, it was like, all right, well, if we're taking out bin Laden and we don't like the Taliban, who also doesn't like the Taliban, but are we okay with what they like and now let's support them? And then the CIA basically had like four different warlords going and supporting them to be like, well, what if we pick the wrong one? We got to make sure the ultimate mission to take out the Taliban. And it's something that blows my mind because I'm not political enough to wrap my head around it of like, okay, yeah, you take out a dictator, but then like the replacement is... And who can actually then run a country? Who unifies a country? It, it's an in. It's overwhelming exactly. to actually think about. Um, exactly. Can I? Sometimes we are wishing we didn't have gas, we didn't have oil, so that we would be just a land with with all the um, resources who are the people themselves, with all these talented people, so that we can actually build the country, so that nobody look after the location of the country itself look after the resources but i would say that oil and gas is the curse of this country because yeah, you basically need you'd either need an outside country 
to come in and remove the dictator or you would need like someone who has enough military sway and access to overthrow the dictator, right? Like I, I, I don't know if there's like a plausible third way. And then if you have an outside country come in, they're not going to do it just because they care. They're going to do it because they can get something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right? That's what people are worried about. So one of the things that people are mentioning these days is that uh, the USA, they had their troops in Afghanistan for the past 20 years, but then they left people. Uh, that uh, When Biden became the president, they just left people to Taliban. And Dear. they just... So... That, again, I'm not smart enough, but I also spoke to another military organization, Stop Soldier Suicide, and they said the um, suicide rates for veterans like skyrocketed when oh, we nice. withdrew from Afghanistan because these are people for 20 years, lost friends, lost sons, lost brothers, <laughs> lost mothers, sisters. And it was like, for what? And then all that work was for what? And you could, but they can it never- was a lose, lose situation yeah. uh, for both parties. Yeah, and I guess that's that's where I start to ramble and I reach um, a dead end real quick mentally. Because I don't know, like you would need several political science majors, like departments to figure out how to implement democracy. Like I still, I've read about America implementing democracy and I don't know if it's a true democracy, but I'm like, the fact that we have a pretty peaceful power exchange every four years, and I guess Trump kind of screwed that up with January 6th, but like you take that for granted. That's normal to me. It's normal that some dude has nuclear codes and can throw bombs around if he kind of wants to. And like, he just gives that up because he lost and he just does it. And he keeps making some money and he sells some books later on. And he has this whole second life like Obama. How come Obama didn't keep running for office? Cause you're not allowed to. Okay. And he just did it. He just left. And it's like, wow. That's amazing. And you can take that for granted when you hear stories about Iran for literally my, it would be the same thing. My, my entire life, never having seen that. Like I, if I lived in Iran, I would never see a peaceful exchange of power in my lifetime. Yeah. 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 Since the uh, discovery of oil and gas. Yeah. It's not possible anymore. Well, I, what I would wanted to go back to was to understand the university a little more and maybe talk yeah. about the Iranian culture. What do you think is unique about the Iranian culture where females get into engineering? Like what should America do? <laughs> so um, Iran has been under this uh, patriarchal, uh, patriarchy culture for a long time. And, um, and then women... Uh, being as talented as they are, they wanted to gain the same rights, the same uh, position as men do. So um, there was no other path for them except for educating themselves. Yes, and I remember very vividly that, uh, that when I was going um, into, into university, my parents used to say, study as hard as you can so that you would always be financially independent from any man in your life. 
and they encouraged me to go for the bachelor's, to go for the uh, master's and to go for the PhD. And that's the story for me and lots of other girls in Iran, most of the other girls Iran, in Iran, because their own parents know that this is the path for them to actually becoming independent from men who wants to dominate them. Um, so, yeah, I, so what I'm saying that this revolution is different from the 43 years ago revolution. And when I'm emphasizing so hard that this one is kind of led by women, it's because um, my generation is now, my generation and my the, pre, the generation before me, who is, for example, my brother, who is now about 50 years old, they have become, become parents to the new generations. So imagine that you have a mom that um, has studied hard, has been so committed in her profession. She has a PhD, she is a university professor, or she is, um, she is a working mom. Um, she's working as, I don't know, a medical doctor or as an engineer or something. And you see that she is educated, powerful, and knowledgeable. What kind of children would you say this generation have? Their children are these young, uh, 20 years old, 16 years old, 22 years old girls and boys who are so brave to actually not um, accepting the, the regime and the rules, the crazy rules anymore. I would say this is how uh, Iran is different from its own 40, 50 years ago and different from maybe so many of these other uh countries around it or the western countries for example here in canada what i'm uh, witnessing is that people don't really have to educate uh hi highly educate themselves in order to get good jobs yeah. there is no competition they can uh go and work in any general job and have a decent salary to actually uh, live a normal life but that's not the case in iran if you don't get high educations you won't get any job at all there is a very competitive atmosphere that you have to work really hard in order to be able to just um have a decent salary to live in order to get a good job there are not so much opportunity out there you can't with a general job you would have a salary to only pay for your clothes <laughs> and not more than that really general, i mean i say it when you say general job are you talking like a teacher so i, I a general to... job, like working in a retail um in a retail store uh, okay or um, even as a teacher so back in iran i uh i i could become a i i was a university professor and i was um just a year from becoming an official one uh, who is um so when i'm saying official i mean um governmentally uh, official and i was like okay if i become a become official my salary would be um six to ten million uh, million two months which is the iran currency which is equivalent to 
you might find it crazy, $500 per month. For re 500 a month? Yeah. With a bachelor's degree? Or was that you with, with a master's? I'm going to become a, I was going to become a university professor. I was a university professor, but yeah. just not an official one. And for the official uh, university professor, the salary would be $500. That's insane. Like That's insane. So j just for context, like if you're purchasing a home, are you able to like do the, the, the currency rate in your head that well? Like if someone were to purchase a home, a, whatever, like a two bedroom, one bath, three bedroom, two bath home, for my generation, if you want to pay for a home ourselves, it's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> Most of the people in Iran who are owning a home, it's by the help of their parents. And it's the very sad truth, but it's the truth. Yep. So people kind of say that around here. And I, I take it with a grain of salt because they say it and they have a $45,000 car, they have a $1,500 iPhone, they have a $90 cell phone bill, they have $400 in gym subscriptions and Amazon Prime. And you know, like, I'm like, dude, with a little more budgeting, and maybe if you didn't like eat out three times a week, you could definitely afford a home. And like, it would be tight, you would lose some of your choices and your, your what you seemingly want, but you could buy a home, it's just a high payment. Um, but when, so when you say it's impossible, I don't want to say that you're saying it's impossible in that same context, but that's what I'm judging it as. And I feel guilty for judging it that way. Can you help me understand maybe a little more sure. of why? So, um, what I'm, what I'm saying is our parents, they are homeowners, but it's because our parents were living a different time. So both my parents, they were teachers and, uh, and with their um, teacher salary during uh, before the Islamic Republic, they could actually uh, afford to buy a house after uh, after enough savings after after enough years of saving. Actually, they were uh, able to afford a house. They were even uh, able to aff afford multiple houses. That's my parents' situation back in Iran. But and and I remember that um, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. We were wealthy enough to actually own iPhone and to actually go on um, far, foreign trips, foreign country trips, and then buy clothes from all those foreign countries uh, or go to restaurants or anything. But now uh, it's not possible anymore. It really isn't. So when I'm saying we don't afford to buy a house, it, I don't mean that we 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 are not willing to save to buy a house or we are yeah. being extravagant um with other areas in our life in our cult in our uh, lifestyle it's that even if we stay for if we save for so many many years it wouldn't still be enough for buying a house do you the economy, the economy doesn't allow it do you typically buy a house like outright or do you do the whole mortgage thing over there? That's another difference between uh, Iran and, for example, Canada, the USA. We don't have the mortgage system that uh, you have here. So here the bank would actually give you mortgage based on your salary. Yeah. In Iran, you can actually um, apply for such a thing, but 
the system is so different. You actually have to pay the most thing in advance to buy a house. So the homeowners, they are the real homeowners. They own the house. Gotcha, gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. Okay, yeah, then that makes a little more sense, um, especially if the salary is that low. What would a typical house like US dollars, a decent house cost you if you wanted to buy one? I would say, strange enough, the um, the prices is the same as the USA. No shit. Yeah. Yeah, dude, there's you know, no way you could get there $500 a month. Exactly. I, I don't know what, like, whatever a dozen eggs or a gallon of milk <laughs> costs. You know, like, you try to find these commonalities to for context, contextual purposes yes. to understand. Yes. Like, if I go to a movie, how much is a movie ticket? You know, like, all these things add up. What's a gallon of gas? Oh, wait, you guys are probably in liters, you know? And then you, like, have to understand property taxes, all these little intricacies. But if, man, if a home... A $500 a month salary for a teacher, um, a college teacher, or is nowhere near. Like, it, that's probably just under 20%. You can, only, you can only pay for what you're eating and what you're wearing and you're, you're, uh, you're communi commuting to the job. Uh, and it's not going to be even enough for that, <laughs> I would right. say. And all this happens after... In the past three, four years, the value of money was, um, the money was devalued uh, to one, to one tenth, yeah, one tenth just in three years. That's so scary to hear. You've heard about that in like Venezuela too, where it was like a hundredth. Exactly. It's like all, like overnight, these people make choices yes. and it's yes. just, the money's worth nothing. And you're like... How does that happen? Exactly. How does that yeah. happen? Is university free over there or do you have to pay tuition? Um, there are two types of universities. One of them are called free university when you, where you have to pay the tuition and the, the tuition is so high. The other, uh, the other one is the government universities and all the good uh, universities are, are those government universities. For example, when I'm saying Sh Sharif University, it's the and it's equivalent to Harvard and MIT. And um, as I said, the students are being recruited for their uh, PhD and master's by Harvard and MIT and all the good universities in the USA. These universities you don't have to pay for, but because um, you must be a genius to actually be able to go to those universities. So there is uh, this very hard system of um, examination in Iran that you have to go to to actually uh, be accepted by universities so the higher your score is you can attend better universities and when i'm saying university of sharif what i mean is the people have scored so high um, that they can join the university and they don't have to pay any tuition and nobody else can join the new university no matter how much they are willing to pay they just can't be they just can't attend those kind of universities and is do you take like the equivalent of an sat when you're like 17 years old or like a, some sort of college entrance exam mm, not exactly because uh for the americans sat is only one of the 
um, uh, one of the factors that would allow them to, that that determines which university that they can go to. And there are so many other factors, but this examination that I'm talking about, it's um, sometimes the only factor that determ determines which university you can go to. And it uh, and you have to examine for all the courses uh, that you have studied during the higher school uh, for that examination. And it's a very hard one. Actually, students start studying for it since the first year in high school. Wow. And the people who scored high enough to get into this prestigious university, sponsored by the government and the regime, yes. are protesting yes. in against the government. <laughs> like when, when you add that to it for the value and the exclusivity of it, it, it adds another layer of sacrifice. It, it's not just hollow people like what, what's exactly. called virtue signaling. Like you put up a black box on Instagram where you say, I, I stand with the Ukraine. I got vaccinated. And you're like, I did something today. Like if it seems like if you were elite enough to get there and if you need like, like the, the direness of just providing you've made it, you get in that university, you've made it and you're going to protest against the thing that's helping you in this university. You're basically like, you're giving up your future. <laughs> Let me tell you something that is going to blow your mind. 90% of the students in Sharif university, they wouldn't stay in Iran more than 90%. I'm being cautious that I'm not saying 99%. So let's just say more than 90%, more than 90% of these students leave Iran for the United States and they become engineers, professors in um, either United States or one of the uh, European countries or Canada. And they are mostly working in Silicon Valley. So, so we are making this joke that the government is actually funding these geniuses, funding them for all their education since yeah. elementary school up to let's say i don't know uh, after their bachelor's or after their, their master's or even after their phd and afterwards they send it to the usa to, to, to reap all the economic benefits to become the uh, to uh, to become beneficial to the country that they are being enemies with how crazy is that? <laughs> Why does the country allow them to leave like visa wise? How can they not that, let them leave? I don't like, how can they have a morality police? I thought countries, if they like had enough guns and like authority would just be like, nope, you can't go. So fortunately, fortunately enough, we don't have such a law to actually ban uh, these people to leave Iran. Yeah, that, man. Yeah, and that's... how would you stay in Iran for $500 a month compared to uh, $500,000 a month? Yeah. Oh, no. it's I'm, Like, I'm not second-guessing the choice. I'm just thinking from, like, the government. Exactly. You, you're so right. Like, to invest that much and to have a prestigious university and you identify your top people and you basically empower them to leave... It, it almost reminds me of like, have, have you seen Minions? 
I know the minions, but I haven't watched them. Yeah, so, you know, there's whatever millions. And for some reason, they're just faithful to, like, these evil villains. And it's not to diminish, like, the intelligence of the Iranian people, but it's like the dictator is, like, anyone who can have some free thought and anyone who could challenge me in any way and figure stuff out, get out. And I'll just keep all the people who are want to be, like, or the le the less educated because it's easier to rule over them. Like that's the vibe I get. Like that seems like the system that has been created. So Sean, that's why I'm saying it's mind blowing. It's so mind blowing and it's so strange and ridiculous that sometimes I'm 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 having this conspiracy theory that maybe Iran's regime is being just puppets to so some powers in order to actually like you know how it is it's like you are um you are empowering the uranium to give it to another country you are actually <laughs> um raising all these children to become geniuses and then just give them to the united states <laughs> is it i feel like it would be sad to be Iranian and not be able to like embrace your home country. Um, um, Sean, I'm, I'm, I'm 37 years old right now. And I came to Canada when I was 34, 35 years old. And all these years that I stayed in Iran, I had this dream, this dream that this dream and this passion and this um, ideal that I want to help my own country to become a better place but there was a point that i can say i was broken and i gave up and i said no i can't i can't do anything this system is so corrupt that not me not anyone else can actually fight against it so i fled i escaped and i came to canada in order to have a normal life um but that's true the ideal, uh, the ambition for all these people is that I wish I could help my own country, but we can't. Yeah. It, was it something specific system-wise? Like, were you actually a, a part? Did you run for some sort of office? Did you try to have some sort of like law change? Do you remember kind of the moment where you like made your mind up? You're like, I'm leaving. Um, I, I didn't get your question. I'm sorry. I, I guess I'm trying to think of like the moment you, I, I've never had to decide, Hey, I'm out, you know, mm. like I'm, I'm done with America. I'm going yeah. to Canada, but I imagine whatever set, what would set me over the edge is like, Oh, well, I ran for office and I lost or, Oh, yes. there was this particular law, like the Roe v. Wade, when it got overturned, some people might be like, fuck it, I'm done with America because they're taking away woman's right, her body, her choice thing. And so like, yeah. I'm wondering like the tipping point, if there yes. was okay. a thing for you or if it was. Yes. The tipping point, it was mainly when I, um, when I started my PhD, um, there was a sequence of events that actually made me hate even the educational system 
And I was like, um, oh my God, even the educational system is corrupt. Um, even and like I'm being um, taken advantage of. And I knew when I want to uh, officially become the university professor, I will have to go through this moral examination where they would ask me if I joined the um, um, uh, Jum'ah prayer, which is, we say prayer in Islam, okay? We say, we say prayers and on Fridays, it's a public prayer day where, where everybody goes to mosque. And um, when you want to become an uh, become an official official governor government um, employee, you have to pass this uh, moral uh, morality examination where they ask you, do you wear hijab properly? Do you know uh, this rule and that rule and that rule of Islam? Do you know how to say, for example, the fear prayer? Do you know, do you usually go to the Jum'ah prayer? Do you do this? Do you do that? And those are the things that I don't do any of them. <laughs> so I, and, and I know that if I become an official university professor, I have to have this dress code while I'm going into the class. And there are certain things that I can't say, and there are certain things that I must say. And I was like, oh no, no, I cannot do this. I, I can't be such a hypocrite. Um, and it wouldn't be me if I do all these. So that was a tipping point for me, yeah. God, and there's, with the money being so low, you're not even incentivized to be a hypocrite. Exactly. <laughs> what are the incentives for me to actually do all these, do all these, I don't know, sacrifices for what? <laughs> this is kind of weird, but you had said something about the women not getting married before they go to university. Yeah. And I guess it's like the expectation as soon as you're married, you have to start having kids or like, are you not allowed because you have to take care of the home now that you're married to go to no, university no, no. it's not or... such a case uh, no no actually it's not at all the case so many women uh, actually start their university after they get married they have children while, while they are still in the university and ha this has been the case for my cousins for my friends that they actually um, get pregnant but when they are uh, in their phd for example and then they get a year off from studying in order to um, give birth and um, raise their children for the first year. No, it's not the case. It's gotcha. just that it's a preference Yeah. because they want to be committed to their studies. As I said, it's very competitive here back in Iran and you can't actually lead a double life of actually being married and have children and also uh, study as, as it's expected to. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Dude, it is so mind blowing to just hear all these freedoms and like be able to genuinely relate to you on very many levels of like, yeah, that's normal. Oh, okay, cool. So like, it's not like there's a rule against you getting married and going to school. It's just like what would happen in normal life is like, hey, if I got married, I'm going to spend time with my husband. I'm going to make a home and I can't balance it both, right? Like, yep. Yeah. Oh, cool. You got internet. You got movies great but then you have this whole morality police thing and you're like how is that the thing with all these other freedoms i i like totally I, I was like oh wait you, you guys can vote but you have morality police like that it just doesn't add up 
exactly it's such a contradiction that you're facing here really? and this contradiction that you're pointing to it's true it's true in so many ways women in iran has um has are, are used to being free in their families um and everything but when it comes to other things they are suddenly oppressed so badly however let me point out uh, this fact um I, I i am very presentative for so many people i am coming from a family um, who is very that is very li liberal so um uh, my parents they are not religious um they never expected me to wear a hijab they never expect expected me to follow any specific religion i was so free in my family and there are lots of these uh, families like my family in iran but there are also families whose father would actually expect their daughter daughters to follow islam in terms of hijab and saying their prayers and everything and um still they are also supportive of their daughter to go to university and uh, go after phd and everything but they would also uh actually force her to follow rules such as wearing hijab or act uh, actually being a, a practicing religion and everything so um, what i'm saying here is that you see all sorts of family back families back in Iran. Some of them are more liberal. Some of them are more strict, uh, strict in terms of religion and everything. But um, what is uh, what is similar between all these families is the part where I told you all of them are supportive of their daughters going to university and become professionals. Yeah, that's. That's something I didn't um, anticipate was not not that like parents wouldn't care about their kids, but I guess the stereotype I come when I think of the Middle East in that region is like daughters are almost a burden to a family. Because... Not in Iran. It is different for some of uh, Arab countries um, like that. For example, yes, maybe if you go to Saudi Arabia, uh, women are not having such rights to they didn't have the right to even drive until a few years back maybe two three five years back they didn't have the right yeah. to drive or men can have multiple wives in some arab countries right. but that's not the case with iran uh, so in iran it's very frowned upon for men to have multiple wives very frowned upon but is allowed very frowned upon somehow they are they would be boycotted from uh from the social life if uh they realize that they have, they have multiple wives and it's the real case interesting how um how come your parents became liberal or didn't get into like religion i know myself i tried christianity i i'm almost positive i would still believe and like the Christian God, the Jesus, but I did religion man for a couple years and I got turned off. I don't have to tell my story about it, but like I experienced it and it always makes me curious about other people, especially in extremely religious countries, environments that are almost the opposite, the zag. And I'm curious if your parents, did they have some sort of specific experience or how come they became, or how come they didn't emphasize it with you? Uh, good question. So 
my parents both of, both of them were teachers they were educated they they used to read, they used to read lots of books they are pe people who are thinkers let me say mm -hmm. um and they figured it's wrong to actually force any religion a religion upon their children um there are other families who are not coming from any religion background even or um or i don't know um so islam as bad as it it is advertised mostly and there are bad sects to islam that are very um dogmatic i would say but um there are also some branches of islam that they um, advertise and they promote thinking in a way that um saying that the most valuable kind of prayer is for you to think oh wow yes um and it's worse than thousand nights of prayer one minute of thinking is worth more than thousand nights of prayer so uh i would say there there are lots of even islamic scholars back in iran i've had professors who are, who are like that who are in favor of thinking and uh, actually being liberal and liberating people from being so um narrow-minded in terms of religion yeah just following the standard operating procedure exactly. of whatever the rules are that has been transferred through these deities into mortals yes and there is a verse in quran that says uh, there is no um forceful um forceful rule in 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 the religion you are the person to choose how you want to approach the preach uh, the religion okay. nobody has to force any rule upon anyone yeah that's something also about the islamic religion in the quran and maybe it's the kind of like coming of age. So I was 20 when 9-11 happened and you just start associating all this negativity with Islam oh. and Quran yeah. and yeah. it gets glorified, Hollywood, dramatized. And it's a very easy narrative to just start boxing into. The couple of people that I've spoken to that could educate me and would like speak about the Quran or Islam. You're like, wait, that doesn't sound anything like what I associate with it in any exactly. way. Exactly. So unfortunately, even ISIS, they call them, they call themselves Muslim. ISIS, it, it was based in Iraq and it was a very terrifying thing. I'm, I'm very happy that it never uh, got to be in Iran, but uh, ISIS, they were they were hardcore Muslims as they uh, presented themselves as. However, what they were doing, it was not it, it didn't have anything to do with Islam. Right. It didn't have at least anything to do with what I read in Quran, which is the reference of Islam, which is like uh, which is like the um, Old Testament or the New Testament in Christianity and uh, Judaism. So, yeah when you um there are lots of muslims that are very liberal that are supportive of women choosing how they want to wear that they are supportive of um all the people 
choosing any religion they want to choose or if they don't want to have any religion religion because as i said it's a verse in quran that says you can force any rule upon anyone they can only choose to be a muslim or not be one of them as their own choice yeah yeah i mean that was part of the paradox that's interesting about christianity is the free will and i want to say it's some old testament part where it's like there's an analogy to a king and it's like well if i force people to serve me out of fear then how do i know that they actually love me the only way i can know if something loves me is if that has the freedom to go away and then it chooses to be with me because you then are choosing you've made that choice and you would hopefully be with the thing that you love Oh. And I can only be so objective uh, about Islam because I haven't been raised in a religious family. And I've always had the opportunity of having a free will and free choice, freedom of choice. So I'm not either for Islam or I'm not against Islam. I can just have an objective yeah. opinion about it. scientific Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I feel like... Um... I try to do that almost like pragmatic where you're like, what's useful about this religion? What fits into my life that sits right with me and sits right with how I can sleep at night, (laughs) you know? And it's like, okay, cool. That's a great part of it. And I can use that to sort of shape me. Um, Do you take parts of other religions and like compile your own like moral code? Yes. So for some parts, I used to be so into uh, Zen Buddhism. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And I have read both the Old Testament, the New Testament. I have tried, I have uh, read Mahabharata, the Hinduism. I, I know a lot about that. Um, I have studied a lot about religion, different religions. Um, that's one of my passions, I would say. Um, so, yeah, just like you said, I accept religion as far as it makes me a happier person. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So then are you, do you get pretty philosophical too? I am, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, yeah. I think you almost have to be to enjoy religion and like get to the what is right aspect of life. Yes. <laughs> so to kind of go back to the um, the protests, and I don't think there is a solution, but when you were talking about you feeling supported by your parents and being able to explore, is there something to support? Because part of what I was also reading 2009 compared to now is there were leaders of that green movement that when those leaders were found, they were put on house arrest. And according yes. to the New Yorker, they are like, still in house arrest. Yes, yeah, still to this day, you're like insane. Yes. But this seems to this movement has a rep like it has a martyr but it doesn't have a leader someone who's like galvanized so that can be stopped so is there a way you are absolutely right it has no leaders and i would say it's one of the um uh, strength points um of this movement uh, because people are not following any leader who can go corrupt who can deviate from the path people are their own leaders they are following the um, sensible mind that this is dictator. These are the things that we want. We are going after it. We don't want this person. We still don't know what our uh, 
are alternatives for the next leader or for the next government. And but they are still united in their fight against the current dictator. However, the um, the concern is because they don't have any leader, because they don't have any um, prospect for the future leader. Where is it going to go? Who is going to actually become the um, the change agent? Who's going to make the change? Exactly. Yes. Who is the next ruler? And are they righteous to become the next ruler? Aren't they going to become the next dictator? What's going to happen? And those are the questions that people are asking themselves right now. That what should we do about that? What's going to happen? Could it be a female? Of course. We are hoping it would be a female. So if you like, is that uh, actually realistic though? Like that seems so strange to hear again about this. And that's my that's my or my mind, right? Like, is that Middle Eastern? Like, no way, a female. We're so far away from that in that region. That's actually actually really interesting to hear. It actually isn't in Pakistan. Pakistan is one of the Iran neighbors, and uh, the majority in Pakistan are Muslims. Uh, and there are hardcore Muslims, like way, way worse than it is in Islam, in Iran. And uh, one of their prime ministers war, was Benazir Bhutto. And she was the first woman in the world to become a prime minister okay. in a country whose majority of people are Muslims. So, and, and Benazir Bhutto, it's, <laughs> her mother was Iranian. Okay. So... Yeah, she was a Pakistani woman uh, with an Iranian mom. So we are actually looking forward to have an Iranian woman as a leader. And it is totally feasible. Gotcha. Dude, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested speaking with you to kind of have some context when I read things. Because it like CNN, even Drudge Report, I guess like a CNN reporter maybe a couple weeks ago, like in an interview was told like, no, you're not wearing, I don't think it was a. Oh, yes, that's true. I thought it was more like the ornament, like the scarf that you're describing. And like the dude just stormed off. But like these protests aren't really like being covered. It's not like the Ukrainian war. It's not like a hurricane. It's definitely not like COVID. (laughs) It's definitely not like Trump. You know, like these are the things that are in the headline. Like I've read more about Elon and the te- and the Twitter takeover than this Iranian protest for against the morality police. Yes, which is kind yes. of sad. That's one of the problems that we are not ha- we are not receiving enough coverage among the media in in different medias, and um, the the reason people are uh, using the hashtag Mahsa Amini so much is. Uh, for us to actually um, gaining that coverage uh, in media. So um, the hashtag of Mahsa Amini, it, it surpassed 100 millions. I don't know, a day ago, two days ago, three days ago, I don't know. I just know that it surpassed the 1 million hashtags on Twitter, which uh, has broken the record of the most hashtags in, in Twitter, which is phenomenal, I would say. That's insane, uh, really? Exactly, yes. Uh, but still, we are not receiving enough coverage in the in the news. And um, part of the reason that uh, I was so looking forward to, to this interview is because we are actually looking for 
more and more foreign people to actually know about the movement, to talk about it, to support it. Um, and I would say Iran is, a, is just one component of a larger uh, political, cultural climate. And we are not going to win this movement without the neighbor countries, to be honest. Um, without Afghanistan, without, uh, I don't know, Iraq, without, without uh, lots of those uh, Arab countries uh, in south of uh, Iran. So we are actually, tr uh, tr we are actually trying to um, have the solidarity, solidarity, solidarity of as many countries as we can around ourselves and even in different continents, in, in the USA, uh, uh, in Europe and everywhere. So you're right. Uh, the news that uh, you see are, for example, about Elon Musk actually um, uh, providing internet to Iran. It's about, I don't know, uh, those celebrities who are talking about it. And it's not enough. I would say it's not enough. Because it's funny, the, well, it's not funny, but I guess I phrase things that way. Because it's reading upon it, it's so much more than just the fact that you ultimately get to show hair as a female. Like that, that's the simplicity of it. That. But then you look at the economics and you're like, no, man, we want jobs and we want an economy and we want production and we have these resources. So why can't we have like a better life? It, it's not just a right. It's literally the flashpoint for a better life for like everyone. Exactly. It's not at all about even women's rights. It's about the human rights in Iran. Yeah. It's about, uh, even as Zizek has pointed, uh, has stated, it's about the human right in the whole world. And Iran is just part of this whole world. And we don't want dictatorship anywhere because we are we are uh, um, facing with the uh, consequences of dictatorship in all the Middle East. Every country is suffering from it. It's, and no, I, I was just when you brought up the dictator again. I just go back to like the they think they're part of the god. That, <laughs> yes. that seems so outdated. Like it, it's like kind of what you joke about with the pharaohs thinking that yes. they were immortal, or like Xerxes. You know, like that's how long ago you you could maybe get away with that thinking. I just can't, I can't wrap my head around that. They presenting themselves as these uh, sacred entities who can't be wrong, who are the representatives of God. You're right. Yes, that's the problem. I can't believe that's common. So <laughs> then like, would would it have to be economic sanctions pressures or would this would would the current dictator just die like because if he's been around for those 34 years you're like he has to be getting he's older very old. he is I know 80, you mentioned you're right he's 82 83 years old and he's been suffering from i think uh prostate prostate cancer during <laughs> the last few years so um we are actually not expecting him to live much longer. Um, however, still, as I said, uh, the legacy is going to go to his son. Yeah. <laughs> however, if he actually uh, passes away during um, these times, 
it makes it much easier for the protests to win. Yeah, I would think so, right? Because you would hope that the son would be, do you know how old his son is? Nobody knows him. Actually, I don't even know his name. It's funny. I, I, I don't even recall seeing his picture. So I don't know anything about him. And the good thing is um, uh, those people who are still in favor of Islamic Republic, they see Khamenei as the um, as this sacred entity. Uh, but nobody knows his son to actually have such a face in his son. Gosh, yeah. Because I'm just thinking he... 60 maybe at the most 50s or 60s but i'm wondering like if he grew up as well with this more progressive awareness mindset and you would think that would make him more sympathetic towards the cause of just creating an iran where the your top intelligent people would at least want to stay like bare minimum it's worthwhile to stay in your own country and to make like how great a source of pride would it be for people? Like people love the Olympics because it's a representation of your country and your culture and what you value. And like the fact that that's why I got so sad. The fact that like these Iranians are having to go elsewhere to find success. Like that's yeah. kind of heartbreaking that you have it to flee your own home. Like it just, I feel like it would just leave a void. Like you would never feel settled or connected no matter where you went it's just not about it's just not about leaving a home it's live it's about leaving all your family behind <laughs> my parents are back in iran and they only come and visit us every uh, other year not most not more than that and um it's it's one of the heartbreaking uh truths among the uh, children of these people who live abroad that they always know that the the this time that I'm saying goodbye to my parents, it might be the last time I see them. Yeah. And one of my best friends, who I'm saying, who who is now a professor at uh, Michigan University, she actually lost both her parents while they were in uh, in Iran, and she was in the United States. And uh, her parents couldn't even get a visa to come to United uh, States during um, during Trump, uh, even when her sister gave birth to a child. So they would yeah. go and visit, for example, either in Iran or in a European country. God, man. Yeah, that's that's so sad. So sad to just not have not have your family, especially if you have to leave them, it's not like you don't know them. It's not like, yeah. you know, your parents sent you to be adopted when you're three months old and you have no relationship with your family. Like you grew up with these people, you know, you exactly. have dinners, you have dinners. And like, all of a sudden it's like, maybe every other year I'll see you. That's. Exactly. And Iranian culture is this culture that you actually <laughs> don't stay with parents only until you're 18. You stay with your parents until you get married. So you're actually so close and so you so used to being around so, so you're so used to actually seeing them at least every week yeah even if you're married um not to jinx you or be mean are you concerned at all just speaking about i, I don't i guess speaking about the parents made me think about this you kind of talking about this and being public with it do you worry about your parents at all or like that Very getting connected? Much. 
Very much, yes. I, I, I'm not worried about my parents in terms of uh, saying that they are in danger in Iran because both of them are retired. They are um, they are mostly at home gardening and everything. But um, I'm I'm more worried about them in terms of they are alone back there. My sister and I are in Canada. My other brother in is um, Australia, uh, and uh, and they are kind of very much left alone in their seventies and eighties. My father is eighty two years old, and um, and they are so uh, so kind of attached to us, um, and. Yeah, I, I'm worried about them in terms of that they are alone. They are, I know they are sad and heartbroken after all, all they, their children left Iran. And I, I even remember my father actually saying, maybe if I could support them financially better, maybe they would stay. <laughs> stay with you in Canada or? Stay, stay in Iran, stay back in Iran. He's saying maybe if I could support them uh better in terms of financials maybe they would stay in iran and they wouldn't have to leave um for better salaries and everything. oh him speaking about his children yes god yeah see that's just a human emotion just wanting to provide for your children exactly like that's humanistic that's i, I don't know if that has a border you know but... exactly exactly that's just human. <coughs> god that's a that's a perspective that I didn't even consider, but that, yeah, that, I mean, that would be heartbreaking. It, it's such a, like, we have this thing, the white privilege training of like being a white middle-class male. And then you always forget like the in America aspect and the privilege that comes with just being in America in general. Um, it's so easy to take for granted. Yes, of course. Um, to be honest, um, when I came to Canada, I was like, oh my God, there are, Lots of uh, things I have missed <laughs> on by just living in Iran. Uh, for example, mm, very, very simple freedoms that you don't even think is a freedom, but it is. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, just the opportunity to like change jobs or have a decent I don't know, like wage, like it's that, I guess some people in America don't feel like they have it. And maybe it's cause I know like being a teacher and just speaking with people about ways to get above your salary, like even just joining the military, you can go from lower class to middle class and you can make, you can get a pension, like you get health benefits. It may not be the best, but it's a pretty decent level of care. And <clears throat> the $500 salary for a college professor is just insane to think about. Exactly. Is, is there some aspect that we didn't get into about this um, that um, you had wanted to touch on? I always feel um, weird wrapping up a conversation. It's a weird spot for me when people start speaking, like asking questions, but also like, I don't know, keeping things connected, like a theme, you know, to parts, uh, I'm trying to get better at it. So I wasn't sure if I like cut you off on something that you wanted to go back to. Oh, no, no, I really like actually that. tried to, um, I tried to cover everything that I really wanted to say here. 
the most important thing that I really wanted to um, give you some uh, perspective on was was the culture of how they treat women in Iran um, in the context of either families or then in the wider context of the uh, um, university community and work and everything. And uh, especially I wanted to um, talk about how educated the women are and how much they are deserved for better things uh, and how much they have tried to actually uh, gain that uh, freedom, uh, how much they put effort into it. So one of the other differences I, I didn't um, touch upon was here in, the, in Western countries, you have all sorts of opportunities to actually entertain yourself. There are nightclubs, there are there are all sorts of things. You can uh, go to stadiums, you can go to, I don't know, um, you can dance on a dance floor, you can dance anywhere. You can, you can become a singer, you can become a dancer. Karaoke. You can become a singer or a dancer in Iran. And um, we didn't have any of these back in Iran. I didn't have any of these uh, in my childhood. So, uh, instead of being entertained all our entertainment was actually studying studying so hard and being the best in what we do we were so disciplined and we were so committed to uh, educating ourselves uh, it's kind of sad but at the same time uh, i want to say that if women in iran are being so brave are, are being so confident now it's because of all the hardship that they went through. And now they want better life for their children. So I would say that is, this is the turning point in our country that now women have this confidence to become the leader, to actually stay in the face of the dictator and chant best uh, to him. Uh, in front of all the troops that are armed to their teeth. At a university that provides them the opportunity to <laughs> escape. I mean, like when you just keep adding to what exactly. can be lost. To all even, these layers. Exactly. <clears throat> that's, I mean, that's what makes it appealing. And um, I don't know. I think that's a beautiful place to um, end, Mona. I uh, just thank you for um, being educated enough and, um, willing enough to just speak to speak to a stranger who messaged you on Instagram um, and to organize like dude I'm, I'm I really I love that song and the artist oh yeah so the the artist the song you sent like yes. legitimately arrested as well yes he is arrested and and people are actually um, there are so many singers that have started singing his song uh, so that they say, hey, we are all singing the same song. Either arrest of all, arrest all of us, or just release him. So, uh, and, and the beauty of this song is uh, the lyrics are based on real tweets of the people of Iran about these protests. And it's thinking that these protests are for my sister, your sister, our sister. It's for the... Iranian jaguar that is in the gender, uh, uh, danger of extinction. It's for the Afghan children 
who are suffering from the same things that we are we Iranians are, are suffering it's for the dying tre trees it's for I don't know all these things that they are mentioning in this song and um it's just brilliant and yes unfortunately he is still under arrest has he at least been seen like what does arrest mean for him compared to say your friend who you and as everybody else I, I I think they have gone and arrested him in his house and they have taken his laptop and uh, all the in instruments. So um, there is no prospect of when they are releasing him or anything else. Dude, it's amazing. So um, President Biden has a beach house maybe 10 miles from where I'm recording in my house. Um, he comes, wow, okay. yeah, he comes often. I actually rode, if you scroll maybe last summer through my Instagram, I rode my bike to his beach house and took like a selfie in front of it. <laughs> so on the way, when he drives from DC to Delaware, it's very country and our county, our small, the lower part of Delaware is very pro-Trump. And there are flags that fly, literally that say, fuck Biden. <laughs> and the fuck is spelled with like AR-15s, you know, and like, like machine guns, like automatic weapons. Yes. Yeah. And you compare that to this artist who made a song of people's tweets getting arrested and you're like, you just, it, you're just like, no, that, that should never, you should completely be able to express how you feel about what's going on, especially when it's basic rights, taking care of your country. It's, it, it's crazy to fathom. It really is. You just can't put in words. The fear and the stress, like that helps me to understand the stress that someone who's detained by the morality police would experience. That, Like why wouldn't that lead you to a seizure or a brain aneurysm and make you pass out? Because that fear of just being taken, it's, it's, it, it's unrelatable to me. Yes. And um, Sean, if you read through the song, you see that there is nothing said uh, explicitly about the dictator in the in that in those lyrics and um, about the fear let me say that uh, among all the people who are killed during these past two weeks there is a 16 year old girl a 16 year old girl and another thing about the morality police let me tell you that now they are recruiting children to oppress people to repress people so among the troops that are armed you see boys who might be only 15 16 years old they have this small childish shape and figure so you can easily know that they are children And the power that people without opportunity cling to, because it's like they're everything. It's how they would feel important if you don't have other ways to feel important. Like that's part of the fear too, is that exactly. you without opportunity, and it's not even a great position to be in. Like th just the fact that I didn't realize that they're not formally police. And I didn't even consider that the police would look down upon them for ruining or for messing up the reputation. Like that alone is great context to understand just how weird and wrong that is. God. 
All right. Well, Mona, thank you um, so much for your time. I always feel like it's clunky wrapping up because I, when I say goodbye, <laughs> I like think of other stuff and I'm like, oh yeah, but... There like, is always something more to discuss, man. especially in such a uh, complicated situation that uh, has all these layers of politics, religion, a culture and everything. But um, we can always come back and talk about, yeah. about it more. But it was a great opportunity. It was very nice talking to you. And, and thanks for all the good questions. Yeah, no, man. Thank you for your time and for being so educated. And um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to just knowing more. So I appreciate that. <laughs> all right. Well, enjoy your night. And um, what are you doing tomorrow? Like what happens for your day? The one time we were trying to schedule, you like had like this whole thing of like 12 hour shifts that oh I didn't God, understand. Yeah, that, um, so I changed my, <laughs> I, I joined this new company just uh, two months ago. So I had this boot camp during the past week um, that my bosses would come to Vancouver from Toronto and also Seattle in order to um, uh, to do these workshops with us, with me and another new hire. So we would be in the office from 8.30 a.m. until 6 p.m. And then we would all go uh, for dinner together. Right. <laughs> so it was a crazy week. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, dude, that gets intense. I've never had yes. that corporate life, but the people I speak to, it's like, no, dude, these trainings are no joke. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, what do you do besides, uh, podcasting? <coughs> um, so the podcasting is just a hobby for me. I, I'm a teacher. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's why I was okay. asking. Yeah. Middle school. So like 12 to 14 year olds. Um, I teach. Interesting. That's exactly how my parents were teachers. Great. No that's hilarious. Yeah, I always remember that uh, when we used to go to park or cinema or such places, there would be um, people, I, I don't know, people with children, actually people in their 30s, 40s coming to my parents and say, you are my teacher. And I used to feel so proud. <laughs> my, um, my daughter, so we have a, it's a smaller community. It's a beach town. And um uh, you go, I go out with my daughter, we grab whatever lunch or we go to the movies or we go get ice cream or you go shopping. And it's like, she's like, dad, everywhere we go, it's like, you know, one person, <laughs> at least one person. And it's like, yeah, I guess so. Cause that's kind of like my job is to just know people. Um, but it it's is a very beautiful, sacred job to actually, uh, um raise and train and teach children and if you're a good teacher i would say that's the best job anyone can have i used to be so proud of my parents to be honest yeah. no it's 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 always struck me as funny teachers who don't enjoy children i'm like even if you love whatever science the content math like writing essays but like really the key is like do kids want to be in your class and exactly. like kids want to come to school, man. And like, can you make a decision to make it enjoyable for kids? Like there's something really cool that you have a little part in like helping kids explore what they're into and what their voice is. And yeah. here's how you articulate your feelings. Like that's cool to do. And like the fact that we get paid not super well, but like pretty well for it. I'm like, oh no, it's neat. It's really neat. I would say in this modern age with YouTube and all these uh, virtual academies around, 
when you're a teacher, uh, you're much more of a mentor than actually a, a person who is teaching a specific uh, science to the children. So it makes it um, both easier and harder to be a teacher, um, harder in, in a sense that sometimes children are actually um, asking you questions that are really hard to answer because they can have all these resources to actually learn about what you're teaching them. But easy in a sense that you can actually be the teacher, the mentor, like that um, higher um, idealistic resolution of a teacher, I would say. Yeah, because the pressure is off to be a content expert. Exactly, and yes. Really for... Uh, for English and reading and writing, it's not, there are some rules, whatever, like if you want to construct an essay, you have your introduction, or if you're arguing, clearly state your claim, give your qualifiers, where's your evidence? Like, but that stuff's easy. It's really more interesting to just challenge kids to go a step further as to, well, what else makes you think that? Well, then if you think this, then you also think this. And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, then maybe you need to be more clear on your position. And that sort of stuff can be very interesting. Yes. Help them becoming um, critical thinkers. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. it's um, it's a fun day, man. It's funny because like I wake up and like I enjoy waking up. It's not like a grind. You know, I, I can't imagine nice. like factory workers or fuck, oh. like we have a big chicken plant population and like those people, like who wants to debone chickens for 12 hours on their feet? Like I doubt they get up and they enjoy work. And it's very much like, I like going to work. You play, I drink, I, I always tell people like I walk around, I drink coffee and I talk about books. Like nice. how is that, how is that terrible? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, that's my main job. Okay. Great. Thanks, John. Cool. <laughs> I, I, it was a great pleasure getting to know you and talking to you. Yeah, no, me as well, man. I look forward to, uh, you don't really post much. I see you post a lot through your stories, but you don't have like posts on, um, your feed on Instagram, but, um, um so I used, I, I didn't used to be a very a heavy Instagram user, to be honest. Um, I, I've been always so, so busy, but, um, during the past, um, two, three weeks with all the um, incidents happening in Iran and everything, I, I started using Instagram more um, because we were actually trying to help people inside Iran to gain a voice outside Iran yeah. um, because they actually don't have uh, a very good access to internet uh, since two weeks ago, since the protests started. So we are trying to be a sort of help yeah like an echo that happened in egypt too wasn't there an overthrow maybe like 2015 or 16 it was like a civil that they didn't have uh, internet access during the protests yeah so they started um i forget i forget the specifics but basically they would like take down internet and they would have to use their cell phones through yes, some other right. app to like organize the protests. And when the government found out, they were like, well, we'll just kill the internet. And it's yeah. um, insane yeah. to think of like, that's an option that they have that yeah. much control to do that. It's, um, it's terrible, man. 
Yeah, it's just me trying not to be so useless after coming, well, coming out to Iran. Yeah. No, no, it's 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 good to have passion and it's good to have things that you're um I don't know trying to make the world better. There's nothing wrong with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you, and um, I'll be seeing you around in person or on a screen somewhere. <laughs> yes, hopefully. Bye. Thank you. Have a great night. You say bye. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, Friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.